Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Challenger. At Challenger, we want to help you ensure that your retiree clients can meet their retirement needs today and tomorrow. To access thought leadership, insights, and tips on retirement planning for your clients, head on over to challenger.com.au forward slash XY. back to the XY Advisor podcast. I'm Fraser Jack and we are talking all things around the changing landscape of retirement. Uh, And in particular today, I really wanted to focus on the concept of the social security system around uh, around retirement, obviously the pension and, and things to do with uh, with aged care and assets and, and income testing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, who better to chat to than Sheena Stowe Smith? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Now, do you want to give the listeners a quick overview of you and 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 why I want to talk to you about the uh, the, the the Centrelink? Oh, well, lots of people would say that I know a little bit about Centrelink. Um, I think my background and. I think eagerness, if that's the right word. I don't know many people use that to describe um, Centrelink or the social security system. I don't, think, I don't think anybody <laughs> describes the social security system in dealing with Centrelink as eagerness. I think you might be the only one in the country. Oh, well, let's get some passion into it, I think. So, <laughs> well, some realism, I think, into it. I think it came from I, I was um, an advisor myself. So sat in front of many a clients that struggled with their age pension and their understanding of, um, you know, what they were receiving, why they were receiving it, plus other benefits and things like that. So what they were eligible for, um, you know, started way back when, something like 16 years ago, I think, as a receptionist and worked my way. Before we go there, I just want to also mention that <laughs> you spend all of your days talking to people and dealing with Centrelink. Yes. Yeah. And- I spend a lot of time. You do. And you run a business called Advice Link, which essentially talks to, uh, on behalf of clients and financial planners around uh, around all things Centrelink. All things Centrelink, yeah. So there's a lot of time on the phone to advisors about their clients and their Centrelink benefits. There's a lot of time on the phone to Centrelink. And there's a lot of research online and using those online systems all to do with the lovely Centrelink. So I think if I'm not excited about it, that becomes a real battle. And when, and when um, you say a lot of time on the phone, I'm, I'm my mind jumps to a lot of the time on hold as well. Yeah, I love the music. I um, <laughs> I, I can dance along and sing along and, yeah, lucky most people aren't here to see that. <laughs> the whole, whole, uh, whole music uh, soundtrack down pat by now, I'd imagine. Yeah, um, and I think all that kind of came around because, you know, obviously speaking to clients about their Centrelink struggles, but also my nan and pop, they, they had their own struggles with Centrelink and being a financial planner, seeing – some planners do this really, really well. Others, you know, trying to, but not being a core focus of their business for, for obvious reasons. Um, and then others just understanding that it there's time on the phone and they don't like that music, um, that they didn't want to tackle it. So, yeah. 
you know, my nan and pop came to me with their own problems and obviously some some knowledge behind what Centrelink benefits they should be receiving, um, how it all worked, um, just kind of gave me the the confidence and the ability to to work with them on that. My um, my nan's a smart woman. She's she was a teacher, um, which is you know, and she always worked even through having all her kids. Um, and she was down at Centrelink on a regular basis, telling them of all these new bank balances, term deposits, and everything else that they had hidden in drawers and socks and beams on the roof. Um, all that kind of stuff but she struggled and there was a clear overpayment for them and not because she was rorting a system and not because she was um you know trying to get more she was trying to tell them but you know there was a a miscommunication and a a complexity which she just couldn't break through Um, and when my pop went into aged care um that highlighted that we needed to get on top of that for them as well um, to get that right fee assessment so yeah it's definitely able to jump in and help um, and, and, and this, sort- this is a story that probably every family in Australia has at this point there it's such a pain point isn't it the the aged care space for for planners and for family members and you know of and the people involved as well uh, there's so yeah. many different areas of stress which we'll get into a bit later but yeah it's such a common story you know I guess that is that why you decided to transition from advice to the, the new business yeah definitely I think um we, we were blessed that my auntie was able to help in such a critical time from a medical side of things but with her background but that the burden of what comes with those people I call them almost the sandwich generation um when you're helping your elderly parents or grandparents and you're also working full-time usually and and starting your own family and life um that burden is is real and with such a complex system and process and we talk already about time on hold or time in offices I just I saw pain points for clients and all I wanted to do was just help as many as I could um but it became hard just as a financial planner because you were doing so much from a compliance point of view so the clear choice for me when advice think kind of kicked off was no this is this is a focus and and this has real merit I think in what it what it can achieve for advisors and their clients yeah so certainly you're right you know the the concept of full-time versus part-time you know you were doing this uh, dabbling in a bit of part-time when the need arise um but then now it's obviously a full-time thing for you and you become an expert in what's, how, to, how to get the best out of the system, I guess you could say. Yeah, definitely. So, well, I'm, yeah, I'm a probably a little bit shy when I say the expert, but there's, there's so much learnings that I'm still having and I do this full-time every day. I'm so comfortable and confident with working with the system that I now, that I now do every single day. And so, you know, talking to, to staff members in AdviceLink that previously worked at Centrelink as well, just, you know, growing what we can do for these clients, but breaking through those complexities and then coming up with new situations every single day, which we learn and grow from as well to be able to get a better outcome for clients as well. So, Yeah. Now, you mentioned staff. Now, this is a really interesting point because uh, with any, say, government agency or, um, or authority or whatever it might be, they're just humans working in this business, right? They're just, it's its a part of the government, it's a department, but there are a whole lot of people coming in and out of the system all the time. And um, like any system, I guess if they're copying it, if it's difficult for, for, for clients on one end, it's probably difficult for the staff on the other end. And I, I imagine that have a fairly high turnover. 
yeah, there are, I can't remember the exact numbers, but there's a, like I think about 10 years ago, you used to walk in and almost deal with someone on a regular basis at a Centrelink office, but staff numbers are astronomical. And even just more recently with the COVID conditions, the amount of temporary staff that they either pulled from different government departments, being Medicare, ATO, things like that, um, and the lack of training that these beautiful people who work there um, received, but in such a complex area, was heartbreaking. The, I think my time on hold became a lot less. There was a lot of phone support thrown in there. Um, and that was great for someone who understood those complexities. But I was talking to someone who didn't understand the systems in front of them and didn't understand the complexities in which they were employed to work in. And it's not to say that, um, you know, I have any solutions around that type of government policy on how they can really work and improve that. Um, but I do empathise a lot with that system, but I do see it as a real pain point for our clients. And I think it's a real need um, for professionals and trusted advisors to really get in there and help them. If, if you're not going to help them with the administration side of things, at least help them understand what they're trying to achieve and maybe what they need to be communicating with Centrelink um, on and about. So you probably spend a bit of your time actually um, saying to Centrelink staff, oh, actually, no, you can do that. This is how you do it. <laughs> exactly. Actually, that was really scary that you could pick up on that. Even to the point of going, no, there's a secondary system or can I speak to Queensland office because they actually have the right system that can plug in and that's working at them. Like it is that amazing the complexities in which these lovely people, as I said again, are working with that. I treat them with kindness with the hope and the outcome that they can provide some support um, to what we're trying to achieve for our clients and our advisors. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's it's just kind of scary, isn't it, that, um, you know, you can get lost in a system. Uh, it's it, that's, that's designed in there to help people um, yeah. and, and, it is, and is not helping people in a way where, and I guess, I guess it's quite confrontational. Um, in many ways, and, and and some of the staff there could even be coming in from a, um, you know, a, a negative aspect because of it, it's been confrontational, or um, they're working with somebody who might be trying to rot the system over here, and then they're trying to work with somebody who's um, in a positive mindset or, or trying to help the system, and they don't quite know, so they get prejudged on those sorts of things. Do you, do you ever see that? Yeah, definitely. I'm like, if you think about who Centrelink are trying to help, it's not just our retirees um it's not even just the disabled or disability support pension um claims that they're trying to really assist they're dealing with a vast range of our society so we've you know i break um i think we as financial planners you could break up what you do into accumulators pre-retirees retirees with centrelink i'm going to break it down a little bit further and i kind of say you've got your families, starting off families, and and maybe some of them are jumping online and doing what they need to do, but there's a lot of complexities in that as well, especially if you're a single parent, that kind of thing. Um, you've got disability and illness, so there's a lot of complexity around the, the people caring for those, taking those people in or trying to sort out what exactly is going on. Um, you've got financial crisis as well. So those people that are really struggling and, you know, we've all heard of job seeker and the astronomical amount of um, benefits being claimed and paid out and changes that are happening in that area. So we saw the queues in COVID. I think we're going to see some, some more claims in that. And I think in that range of society, 
you're going to be dealing with a range of education levels, understandings, and also maybe attitudes to what what they expect when they walk into Centrelink. So those staff are basically guarded, they're armoured up (laughs) before you even speak to someone. And like I know myself when they put me on hold or transfer me to another department, I I, I think I have an inner sigh of, oh, like what is going to happen here? How long am I going to be on hold? Is the phone going to drop out? Because you can't ask them, can you take down my number and call me back if it drops out? And it does drop out. Like some of the biggest complaints um, of Maybe not last year, but the year prior were around phone dropouts or hold times. So I'm, you know, your client is already on edge because of these wait times or the dropouts that they've experienced or the transfers before they speak to someone or deal with someone. Then they're dealing with someone who's armoured up, guarded, ready, ready to tackle the worst of their situation. And yeah, it's not a gig. I'd rather be on my side of the phone than their side of the phone so yeah I definitely have um yeah it's not a perfect system but it's it's trying no exactly right and I do you do feel for these people who um, are put in a situation where the system might be difficult uh and then they're just human beings with lives to live and you know families to feed uh at the other at you know being with with, with not quite enough training and a uh, and the people around them who you're right they're sitting in a room full of armored up people so they're going to walk in and they're going to be armored up to start with and you know i don't know uh, i don't know what the answer to that one is but um it's certainly worth keeping in mind if you're ever trying to (laughs) have a conversation with a centrelink person uh start with a bit of honey rather than yeah (laughs) Um, with a smile that comes from my reception days you know you pick up the phone if i'm smiling even if i don't feel like smiling it's going to come through and hopefully you get a little bit of um reciprocation yeah yeah exactly right some good learnings and good good things to take through with you so um so yeah that's really interesting that the staff the knowledge and the the attitude and and obviously the turnover is is big in that space so um finding the right staff finding the right system which i guess is where, where you come into it um you mentioned some of the pains around complexity. We keep saying the complexity word, the fact that there is a lot of complexity um, yeah. and, you know, that creates complaints and uh, and a, a little bit of fear even in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think so. I think um, like just even walking into Centrelink, I don't think some people just don't want to do it. Some people don't want to claim for Centrelink at all. I actually think that comes out of where it was born from, like the whole age pension in general was, you know, don't quote me on my numbers, but something like the 1905, it started in New South Wales um, as something that provided support to to people in poverty, to to poor people. Um, So that is misconception number one that I think is always going to be attached to social securities and services um, in those types of areas. I think... um, means tested was added in so instead of just a set amount being paid out to people who are in poverty or below a certain line of income um more means testing and complexities came in and there's that terrible word again around well if we're going to pay a full pension what's it going to cost us and i I think that's what it comes down to from a government cost point of view what's it going to cost the government taxpayers um i think prior to superannuation there was something like six working people um, to support one retiree Um, and that was you know a little bit more manageable but that's projected to basically half with all our baby boomers going into retirement so I think what the government has tried to do with the introduction of superannuation came the introduction of means testing means testing means that instead of just cutting you off 
the government supported age pension, it kind of introduced a way of tapering it down. So based on your income, based on your assets, we tapered it down. Inside that, it's, well, you know, what assets are included? Is it your superannuation? Is it your home? Do we count them? You know, where, where are you allowed to give your money away? Those, those added, <laughs> I've got no other word but complexities. Mm. I think those are the um, rules that came through just added to what can it, what could you do to plan your retirement? How much do you, do you have? How much are you going to have? And what can you fall back on if everything went bad? And I think the retirement system started to build to a system which wasn't just an age pension for poor people. It started to become a little bit um, you know, more focused on building superannuation. Means testing then came into the age pension. Um, and then obviously people started to focus on being self-funded retirees and then there was a little bit more focus around trying to save for that and hopefully in this current economic condition and then um, we can kind of still continue with all three of those areas mm. to really support the system that's in place. I think um, even back in the 70s, um, Whitlam, I think, tried to abolish the means testing system. I think that kind of got thrown out though um, as superannuation came in as well. So hoping that people would need this a little bit less as well. So, and, you know, people just, I think there's a, if you compare it to maybe a Dutch system as well, where people in um, these types of countries in Europe, they work, they contribute to the government or the retirement fund, if you like, in that in those kind of countries. Um, I think Dutch is something like 18% of salary. And then there's this guarantee or there's this, um, expectancy that they're going to have a lifetime income from the government and it's managed by the government um, which provides them some support in their retirement. I think our system allows for a little bit more flexibility though with you know our superannuation system which allows access to funding and then a fallback position being the age pension and hopefully we don't all need to rely on on the age pension but we want to be able to know what's what's there and what's available to us if we've been been in the society and and hopefully yeah yeah, yeah. so it's kind of like um, the the, uh, the 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 system where the government manages the money for you and you just hope it, uh, you have to put a lot of trust in in uh, in the government and obviously people have varying levels of trust in governments um so it's probably it probably you know puts a little bit more trust in the system um yeah. to have our superannuation system in place and and so um probably puts people's engagement with their superannuation a little bit more as well now, we talked about attitudes, and you sort of mentioned on the on the, the concept of the poor, uh, yeah. The, sorry, the the attitude of Centrelink or, or Social Security being for the poor when it first started, and the, and the people that were you know retired and maybe entering age care now, that's probably their attitude towards um, how that was 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 in place. But we've also got the attitude of sort of the entitlement attitude around I look, I pay my taxes, I want to get my money, and then and then we've also got the attitude around things like. Um, you know, I, I don't want to take advantage of the system. I want to, you know, be, you know, do do everything I can without putting any pressure on the system because it's my, you know, it's going to be my my kids and grandkids that are paying that back. Yeah. Uh, and my mum's a prime example of that as well. Like, um, not that you know, my mum's a, a teacher. You know, in her in her career, and she's retired now. And and when she retired, she was very unclear about what she was entitled to. And you know, she, straight away, Sheena, what what can I get? 
was at some stage in her retirement planning, she sat down and the age pension was very much a possibility for her, but her situation changed um, where it's not anymore, which is, you know, a great position for her to be in, but telling her, no, you're not entitled to anything, but you can get the Commonwealth Seniors Health Card, which I think is a really important point in some, a a lot of our um, overage pension age people are actually missing out on. Um, so it's one to keep in mind. But I think her entitlement mentality was, well, what do you mean I can't get it up? You know, I, I, she lives in at Wanji on, you know, Lake Macquarie and she sees all her friends with maybe a boat or all this, that, but they get the age pension. Why don't I? And, you know, it's your mum, you're a saver. <laughs> you've, you've accumulated this this wealth and, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, she's my hero. Like I'm so proud of what my mum's able to achieve um, from very, you know, simple beginnings, if you like, and, and that's fantastic. But you're a self-funded retiree. You, you, you're not entitled to this. But wait, so if I spend more on these, like, you know, she gets a holiday, she gets lots of lovely things. Actually, that's probably her biggest bear, you know, point of agony at the moment with COVID. But she's able to spend money as she wishes because she saved for it. And But this lack of um, age pension is, was a big realisation for her. And I think like many, so, um, yeah, it's it's this comparison. Yeah, you've got to love the benchmarking conversations where people start comparing themselves to other people. But it's interesting, isn't it? That just the word entitlement or, or, or entitled, um, it's sort of, it's kind of maybe, maybe we need to work on the language as, as planners and financial advisors might need to work on the language and, and talk about, uh, like you just said there, how lucky she is to be able to not need this uh, rather than not being entitled. Yeah, I tell my mum all the time, like, you know, if that's your biggest problem right now, mum, you are sitting pretty. Like, so, you know, she's an avid photographer. She she loves her travel. You know, she's got a beautiful um, now husband. And, you know, we're, we're just, I'm just really proud about what she's been able to achieve because she has this savings mentality as well, because she's, you know, moved on from a generation where I work, I pay taxes. I struggle through my life to be able to afford these expenses. But now I'm, you know, now people are with superannuation, I think, the big introduction of that um, and this seeking financial advice as well and, and thinking about strategies has empowered you to really change your, this reliance or entitlement on this system, which I actually think will be around for a really long time. At some point I thought, you know, 10 years ago when I first started off in the industry, I thought I'm never going to get the age pension. This is not going to be a thing. But I think the government can afford to have this around for a really long time. But I think it's great. It's people like my mum, the re- like they're the reasons why we can keep having this around and really benefiting and lifting people that, you know, are that mid to lower financial status that really need it and also providing support in other areas like so your commonwealth seniors healthcare card is a classic example where it's not just about paying you an age pension to supplement your income but what medical support can we give you what you know when you get a bit older if you want to stay in your home mum in which she adamantly does you know what other support can we get you and now afford as a government for you to stay in your home for you to be able to get your lawns mowed or if you need a lift or something along those lines what other support can we now fund for your retirement for your at home care given that you are now a saver <laughs> so i think that's a really 
hopeful position for the government to kind of move into and, and that extends to, to lots of things like you know hospitals and dis, you know disabilities and illnesses and and tragedies and floods and lots of things that kind of go on that are unexpected yeah exactly I don't know the numbers exactly but I think once the people uh, that have been getting superannuation guarantee paid uh, for them for their entire career once that happens um, it's obviously going to create that um, a, a little bit of easing up in that middle, uh, section you mentioned that that middle zone where people have had a job for most of their life and been paid that superannuation guarantee and actually have a bit of savings there. Now you mentioned your mum uh, is a saver. Now this is a this is a really interesting part of the the conversation because when people are savers, uh, that's a habit for a long period of time. It becomes in, ingrained in them to be careful and save money. How do they then become spenders and then just just turn that around and say, no, I, I'm here to spend the money that I've saved now. Yeah, I think it's, um, and if you, from a financial planning point of view as well, when we're talking about trying to maximise benefits for clients, it's some people actually sit on that real tipping point. Like, you know, you just want the pensioners card or, you, you know, or just want to maximise how much you can actually receive. And that's, it's not by rorting the system, it's by working within it and, and achieving people's retirement goals. And, you know, when you're an, an advisor, I think you're always sitting in front of these clients and you, you're not talking about... Um, dollars you're really talking about dreams and aspirations and you know they want to help their children out and how can they do that to to best provide them with this longevity where they want to have this lifestyle you're not talking to them about let's go spend your money because this is what it does for you you're talking to them about how they feel about it their relationship with money what does money mean to them and how does it how does it get them in a position where they're they are comfortable in spending. So it's it's often about holidays and experiences and family and, um, you know, passions. And, you know, for my mum, like I said, it's what stops her from being on the phone to me, my sister and my brother every day, and it's photography. So, yes, you know, trying to get her in that comfort level that this amount of money in these, you know, in this type of quantities, that's good, you know, go for it because you've got this type of position. And then I think for a lot of people as well that, fallback worst position knowing that the age pension within these within if I get to this position you know and you talk about asset tests and me and income tests um I've got an age pension of this this is like my core this is my baseline um and I think that really does help people have a better relationship with spending once they are transitioning from that working saving lifestyle to I get to spend now, so I get to live. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that tr- you mentioned the word transition. It's, it's definitely a transition. Uh, now, let's talk about the. You mentioned the testing, the uh, you know the uh, the income and assets testing. Is that is that great where it is now, or does it still need refining? I think it needs simplifying. I, I think you know the whole concept of getting rid of it altogether is. It's it for me. It doesn't sit well either. Like you know to to think that people could be living in huge houses or giving away so much money to their children just so they can have a large pension um, because they were savers and they're just passing that wealth on. I don't think that sits well in my opinion, and this is very much an opinion um, with me, but I think I think it does need refining a little bit. And there was talks about whether the home at over a certain amount needs to be capped and whether they need to consider home values in different states because we all know that's a little bit different. Um, it's going to add 
to those rules and complexities. So that's the conundrum, I think, of it is should we be doing that? And then on the other hand, you want it to be a little bit more simpler in its application. Um, yeah, I, I don't know whether I've got a definitive answer. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. sit on the fence. And <laughs> it's, it's, com- it's complex, isn't it? Like there is, there yeah. is to, to, get, to make it slightly better, you need to add more complexity. Um, but yet we want to try and simplify it. So it's, it's you know, I guess if you're a, if you're one of the decision makers and rule makers and legislation writers, it, it'd be a tricky situation. Yeah, and I think what I have seen, which I like coming through, but again, it's probably adding to the complexities. Like, so back in the day, you know, annuities were 100% asset test exempt and and um, an income exempt as well. So they've kind of introduced that back in again, where you know annuities have a portion of the asset. Um, exempt and income and things like that. And I, I really like that idea because I think that's part of the, our retirement system and income system that we're really missing is this setting people up with that guaranteed fallback position. Um, so, I mean, it does add to the complexities, but I like that we're trying to talk to people about setting themselves up with a guaranteed income. And I know as an advisor, you're going to probably be listening to me going, oh, annuities, they're not very sexy, they're not very exciting, <laughs> and they're not because... I don't think our clients in retirement to change that relationship with money and how they spend, they need a little bit of that excitement and that engagement and that sexiness in markets and investments, but they also need a lot of security around where's my next paycheck coming from because that's what it needs to be for them. They need to see regular income guarantees. And I know we don't talk like that as financial planners, but that's what your clients need for that peace of mind for some of these things to kind of change. And unfortunately, I think it just adds to some of the rules and means testing complexities in, in what we do. Yeah, it certainly does. It adds the time factor in, uh, into the fear, doesn't it? Because sometimes the, uh, we, we only have so much money and it's uh, probably going to run out some time and then, uh, and then, then what? So, you know, you're absolutely right there. Um, so a lot of work going on with the, you know, um, uh, with testing, I guess you could say, but uh, but tell us about the the aged care part of this testing, um, and how you work with clients in that aged care space coming up to aged care. Um, I see with aged care, the core element of what Advice Link offers to advisors is definitely around that Centrelink, um, getting your income and assets recorded correctly for the benefits that you're entitled to with Centrelink Correct, and um, that prevents overpayment, underpayment, um, debt situations, all those kind of things. That is also a core element of when you're moving into an aged care facility. So regardless of what beautiful strategies as an advisor you can come up to, unless come up with for a client that's moving into that situation, unless you're getting that Centrelink component right from their benefits right down to their means-tested fees for the aged care facility, your strategy is almost worthless. And we implement so much as an advisor for our clients. We will go out and we'll put the annuity paperwork in place. We'll put the new allocated pension paperwork in place and follow it up. We'll we'll troubleshoot any problems that kind of come up with it. But we send a lot of clients on their own lovely way to deal with an abundance of paperwork. Um, What Advice Link tries to do is um, just gather the information from a fact find or from their strategy paper or something along those lines from the advisor, a few extra statements, and it usually kind of gets us most of the way there from a Centrelink point of view. We We can complete the paperwork for aged care facilities as well as updating or claiming benefits for Centrelink for those clients on the behalf 
of those clients, um, really hopefully bettering that situation for the for the power of attorney or whoever's in the middle there. And we, we talked a little bit about this before with the, the, that sandwich generation who really often gets stuck as this person assisting um, an elderly or frail person moving into an aged care facility. It's it's often the worst time for more paperwork. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it's one of the foundations, isn't it? It's the building blocks upon and that everything else is built on, otherwise the numbers will be wrong. That's right, yeah. And and they're only reassessed every quarter. But if you but if these people are moving numbers wrong and clean those forms when the numbers are wrong, that can be, you know, a much bigger upfront cost than what might be required, depending on what the strategy is available to those clients as well. Yeah. Now, now you mentioned the the concept of getting the numbers right and, you know, going through and doing the income and assets, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a fear that people have have of giving those numbers to Centrelink? I have seen that and sometimes I, I try to make sure that advisors are really talking about the current situation. There is issues that sometimes crop up in the, the line of work that we do do where we see, um, do you know that they've been overpaid for X amount of years or they haven't updated this situation since they claimed the age pension? Um, I definitely think... One is fear that people are worried about talking to these people with armour um, about this current situation and what it's one of those like, you know, I don't understand it. The list is too long. I'm going to park it over here. And if there's no deadline on that, like your tax return, I'm basically never going to really look at that again. So that's kind of what happens with a lot of people on benefits. I also think that there's a misconception about how much do they know about me? They should know this. So essentially don't know a lot of what you tell other government agencies. Um, I, I sometimes even doubt it myself. I'm going, are you sure you don't know this? Are you sure you can't find this out? But I, I work with people as well that have worked in Centrelink. You know, I, I trust some of them when they're knowledgeable on the phone as well. We, we don't know this. We can't, or we can't rely on maybe what they're being fed as well. So RoboDebt was a very clear example of when they relied on information that they thought they knew and that was a catastrophe. Yeah, that was traumatising. Yeah. I want to talk about RoboDebt in, in a second because I, um, because, uh, I think it's it, it's an important part of what retirees are going through, that fear of you know being um, money being taken back. But you mentioned that the, the other government agencies, so the tax department, for example, and tax returns, those are not being fed to Centrelink? No, the only information that I know that is being fed to Centrelink is single touch payroll systems. So that's that system where your employer your employer tells um, you know, ATO what they're paying you um, as earnings. Um, and that's the only system that is feeding through. So not your tax returns, not your rental income, your investment income, um, not your notice of notices of assessment or your none of that type of stuff. <laughs> This is literally like, you know, not your bank account balances in your detail. It's literally just single touch payroll that yeah, I know is being reported. That's interesting. So if you don't tell them, then you don't, they don't know and, and that could come back later to buy you. Yeah, I really hope that they start to communicate at least on ID requirements. I mean, at the, this point, it's the only time we actually ask our clients to go into a Centrelink office. But it seems really, really logical that they should be able to kind of match up driver's license numbers and it doesn't seem like a far, far-fetched idea to me. But I think they are actually working on um, some separate systems in the background. But if financial planners and, um, you know, police agencies can figure this out, I'm sure they can do this. Yes, yes. more <laughs> systems. That's what we need. Um, yeah. now, now let's go with the robo-debt thing because that's obviously yeah. created a lot of, um, you know, pain for all, all different parts of the social security. But 
obviously with with retirees as well you know being being sent letters to say how oh, oh, we've overpaid you you need to pay us back have you seen much of that um yeah and i also know that the current debt system um is way behind so um they didn't issue debts for um the covid period they did start to reissue debts i think it was around november and I haven't seen, I know of clients on our system that have been overpaid. We've informed them because we've made this update on your behalf. This is a good thing. We've stopped your overpayment. This is what I think they're going to ask back from, like from you at some point in time. So that real, giving them that real knowledge in power um, or power in knowledge, sorry. (laughs) But I think what we're going to see more of is more debt letters being released, more surprises, more shocks and less understanding of where it came from, why it's come about, Um, especially if it was made from an update a year ago. um, I'm going to have to remind these advisors and clients, we told you about this, we told you this was going to happen and we can always fight these things with Centrelink. But if we understand them and we think, oh, that's fair, it's it's much better situation to be in than being overpaid. I think with robo-debt, I think there was a little bit of unfairness with how far back they were looking, the information that they were using um, to, to create these debt letters. With the current lack of debt that they were issuing and this backlog and this, ha- it's going to be almost the same type of thing where they're going to say, look, back in 2019, they're going to be issuing these le- letters in five years' time. Clients don't understand. They don't tell you why or where it came about or how it was calculated. They just issue it. Um, and it's, it's scary. Um, one letter I did hear about was a, a single mother who was issued a letter um, just as she was separating from her husband with very little assets and she's issued a letter which said that she was she owed the system twenty thousand dollars or something which was quite scary for her a a quick call actually meant oh no we sent that in error we had you down as a non-resident because i'm a resident oh well then you don't owe us any money it's that type of tell me why (laughs) i have a debt and I can go, oh, this is wrong straight away rather than waiting on hold, getting my armour up, getting your armour up, then we we lock we lock heads when we, we kind of collide. So I, I just, it, it's tough. It's a yeah. tough system. And I think um, the new robo-debt, like I call it 2.0, where they are using this single-touch payroll system to talk to people about this is what you've been paid and that's changed recently too. It used to be what you earned in a certain period and now it's what you have been paid in a certain period, um, but you've got to confirm it. Um, so, you know, I know if there's numbers in front of me and I just I just click, yeah, okay, 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 I go for it. But, you know, that's also going to create a little bit of, um, you know, debt, I think, situations in people now realising, oh, is that correct? Maybe it's group. Maybe they had been overpaid, but it's going to be creating a little bit of a debt situation as well. So how long is this kind of thing going on? Yeah, it's interesting. People don't often read the detail in online forms, do they? No, that's it. The terms and conditions that we all just get used to clicking, I agree, without reading them. Yeah. I actually read one app had in their terms and conditions that you'd give away your firstborn son and they just wanted to see if anyone picked it up. 
<laughs> it sounded like really rumple skin type stuff to me. And I, I don't think anyone picked it up ever. And they released this information. And I, I think I heard it at a talk or something like that. And I'm just thinking, yeah, that'd probably be me. I don't know what. I'm, it's some of those. <laughs> I promise with your Centrelink work, people, I'm doing the right I thing. I think and some I'm people would go through moments where they quite happily give away their firstborn son to, uh, yeah. to an app provider, which wouldn't take them. During um, homeschooling, no problem. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, what, now we, you know, the main, the main pains people have with contacting Centrelink and, and the fears that they have, what, what would, would you see the main complaints being? Time, um, you know, lack of knowledge at the other end and, you know, that, that, that really is um, some of the problems. I think when they get, just like the debt situation as well, if they get rejected for a claim um, and there was something like 1.19 million claims for JobSeeker last year and that's probably before the thick of some of the the issues with um, the current conditions, there is what's the number? Something like you know two hundred thousand rejected. They don't. They wouldn't know why they're rejected. They just get a rejection letter. Um, sometimes it says because you didn't respond to information that we requested, which I think is a lot of the cases. Um, they clients don't know what they're asking and why and how to provide it. Oh, you know, I've heard of lots of stuff getting lost in the mail as well. Um, So I think not understanding the time it takes, the lack of communication is is the biggest, biggest issue. Yeah, it's incredible. And I don't know how you spend all of your day uh, (laughs) (laughs) putting out these fires, but, uh, you know, my hat goes off to you for doing it. So, (laughs) Um, And how do you work with planners? Um, so at the moment, um, our service offering is uh, to really take as much information that we know that they're collecting. We know advisors are the, the trusted professional in this relationship and, and we love that they can build up their service offerings. We know that they've got a huge amount of compliance burdens in front of them. We offer them a service that they can add to their clients. Um, it's not advice. Um, if it's the administration service, um, we offer them something which they can really profit on and they can really grow their business through. And I think, you know, if you just talk to half of the clients about their Centrelink experiences, they're really willing to pay for this type of service. They're really willing to refer clients in this type of service. And I think it also lends to a cross-generational pace. We're not just talking about retirees. We're, we're talking about, you know, families, like I said, the, the illnesses, the um, disabled, the aged care side of things. So it, it really lends itself across different clients' clients in practices. Um, so how we work with advisors is really just looking at their client base identifying who's ideal for this and and how do we get this in place and do we offer it to existing clients? Do we put a campaign out there for growing their business with this type of offering? Um, We help them with how to charge for this service. We work with their staff on, you know, what kind of um, information are we after as advice link to get to Centrelink to make this really efficient. So we're after a really efficient process and the outcome is just getting their clients on the right benefit. Um, and it might be less, so they're saving them debt. It might be more, which is fantastic, but getting them on the right benefit or getting them the right aged care fees. So implementing those strategies in that Centrelink space in which advisors have worked really hard to do. So we do the administration, everything from claims to updates. We provide review reports. 
um, but we also help with that business planning point as well. Yeah, okay, fantastic. So obviously if people have, um, you know, specific needs, obviously, which they will do from time to time, but really also around that young family space, sorting that out, really around the retiring, I'm about to retire and pre-retiree space, getting those foundations right, and then also that foundation structure ready for the uh, aged care conversations. Yeah, be, and I think that'd be the main three. Yeah, and I think like a lot of what you just said then, as well as you know, giving that advisor the real knowledge behind what they're doing as well. Like I know when I was starting to be an advisor way back, and you touch on Centrelink and you you touch on the complexities in that means testing, but you don't. I don't think you really dive into some of those fringe benefits where you start to add a lot more value to clients as well. So giving them a real um, you know, the cheat sheets, the, the the changes, the power pieces, I think that that really help them feel confident mm. very and very quickly in yeah. front of clients to talk about this. Yeah, yeah that's really interesting. That gives them a bit of uh, empowerment to have a conversation. But also I yeah. see it as the, the uh, not paying their staff to sit on hold uh, to outsource that to you. To yeah, I think that if you ask your staff what do, what do they want to give up the most if you're offering this type of service, they'll go, yeah, my Centrelink, I'm, I don't want to be on hold. I don't like them. I don't like the music like Sheena does. <laughs> Pass it on. Fair enough too. Uh, so tell us about the um, the future of this, this you know, the, the social security environment. How do you think, how do you see it sort of panning out from here? Um, look, I, I think how much the government's currently spending on, like so the age pension at the moment compared to other, like if you like OECD countries, it's it's something like two and a half percent at the moment. Where most of these kind of countries are spending about five percent. So I actually think we've got this is going to be around for a while. Um, and if you do actually add in what the government spends on tax concessions around superannuation, we get kind of closer to that mark. So maybe that's a bit um, one sided. But I really do think that this is not a system that's going away. And you asked me about my opinion if what we should do around means testing and complexities. Look, I don't know and I actually don't think the complexities are going to go away. The grandfathering is always going to remain. The the issues around am I a homeowner or not a homeowner and, you know, because all those types of things, especially for retirees, are consistently changing. So um, I think the future of age pension, Centrelink, benefits, like I said, my mum saved all her life. I think that's going to open us up to what else is out there now. What can we spend more money on um, as a government in this type of area? I think it's going to continue to grow. And I'm excited because I think AdviceLink is in a position for advisors to support you in that. So we can focus on where where is it growing? Where is where are the changes happening? What, are, what does this mean for your client? Like let's turn this into... I have a senior squad which goes out and tells me what their pensioner's card gives them. And the free cup of coffee always surprises me because at McDonald's, (laughs) am I allowed to say that? Sure, Um, sure. (laughs) It always surprises me because I don't really like that. But anyways, (laughs) but what it means to them is it's huge. Like I've got regional clients that tell me about, you know, they go into national parks and things like that. So I think I see this space for advisors is really talking to you know how people feel about money what they're saving their money on and then what they actually need to spend their money on and that's that's really where I see Centrelink in this space kind of going I think advice think is going to be there to help advisors along the way yeah and you mentioned before that uh, the more we know about this obviously the, the the better we look in front of our clients because we can we can say stuff um what about training for for planners in this space 
funny you mention that. <laughs> Advice Inc. at the moment is um, we're really excited. We're opening up our services and developing uh, a training plan because I speak to a lot of advisors about specifics around their clients. Um, so we are developing um, an educational and training plan that helps practices, maybe I'm taking away business from myself, but actually helps practices if they want to do-it-yourself model in this service we, we're going to give you the tools. We're going to give you the education, um, you know, the, the scripts, the how to charge for this and, and what does this look like? What does this do for your business value as well as your clients, which I'm obviously very passionate about. Otherwise, I don't spend time on hold to Centrelink. Um, so how to grow your business through this, how to do this yourself, how to train your staff to do this with you. And maybe it's not even an advisor space. Maybe this is an advice this this service is something which sits outside of that but it's something where you can very much grow revenue for your business train your staff to do for you whether it's your associate advisor who's coming up the ranks or some other type of admin support um, and and do this in-house if you don't want to though advice link as a administration service is always going to be there as well so we're really excited about this next step and next phase of advice link as well you are really excited about it, I can <laughs> I tell. <know>. and look <laughs> maybe it means a little bit less time on hold and dancing around. <laughs> <laughs> I love the whole music. Um, so, uh, so like I know a lot of planners that are using you and, and, and rave about the services. If somebody wants to continue the conversation or get hold of you, what's the best way? Um, shoot me an email, give me a mobile phone call if you like the traditional way. But, you know, anything and everything, I, I'm open to any type of communication. Our website um, has a subscription. So if you just want a, a, a soft contact, if you like, and any newsletters we've got, LinkedIn, reach out give me a call I'm I'm very scary I've got very scary dance moves but other than that I'm really excited to talk about Centrelink no, no such thing um advice link services that's the dot uh, com is that the uh, address I think services.com.au that's us fantastic okay have a uh, thank you so much for coming and sharing I really appreciate it and uh we um you know I wish you all the best and I hope people reach out fantastic thank you so much for having me Fraser well, there you have it, another episode of the XY Advisor podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and I'm joined by Emily Blanche. G'day, Emily. Hey, Fraser. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for asking. And, of course, our best part of the week when we get to shout out to some XY members. Yes, let's do it. So a dual shout out today to XY Advisors Chris Carlin and John Cashier. Two legends who jumped on an XY Plus web event recently to talk about how they are engaging and delivering advice to millennial clients. Awesome session, great discussion. Both John and Chris were really open with how they're charging, the fees they're charging, um, how they're walking new millennial clients through their onboarding and discovery process to becoming a client. Uh, John shared some hilarious analogies and Chris was really open in why he wants to work with nurses and teachers in particular and really help millennials and those that aren't super high net worth. So great conversation. Thank you guys for sharing. Really appreciate it. And that's my shout out for today. Wonderful. Thank you, Legends. Uh, it's always good to uh, hear some great people doing great things, and especially in the XY Plus area. So if people want to uh, get access to their web events, check out XY Plus. Thank you.